You know, I always like to have opposing points of view on the show so that you get to hear from people who disagree with me. Uh, you know, for instance, I come on here day after day and I talk to you and I say there's, there's a God and you'll find joy if you live in the spirit rather than the flesh. So to offer a different perspective, I brought on a special guest. Ah, Satan, thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me, old friend. You know, I, I'd really like to get your take on some of the events of the day. For instance, there's been this big, you know, uprising of women opposed to Donald Trump. We recently had this women's march. What do you think about that? Oh, it's a delightful event. Thousands of women wearing pink hats to represent the fact that they had their vaginas where their brains are supposed to be. Vulgar signs, vulgar language, angry, hate-filled speeches. These are my sorts of ladies, Drew. Also, it drew attention away from that pro-life march down the street. They were praying and celebrating their children. <sighs> I'm on the other side of that question, of course. You mean you're not pro-life, you're pro-choice? I'm not pro-life, I'm anti-life. Sin and death, old boy. Nothing I enjoy more than spending a pleasant afternoon watching babies being poisoned in the womb and then ripped to pieces so that their parts can be sold for a tidy profit. Some people enjoy the theater, old boy, but for me, it's Planned Parenthood all the way. Ah, that's, that sounds evil. Yeah, I'm Satan. Oh, right, it slipped my mind. Yeah, but, you know, I'm not at all picky, of course. Whether it's gender reassignment for children or Islamic genital mutilation for little girls, I feel that any time a helpless youngster is mutilated to the service of the misguided philosophy of some adult, well, that's a good day, old boy. Sort of reminds me of the things the Nazi torture doctors used to get up to. Ah, the Nazis. You, you miss the Nazis. Miss them? I have them over for gin rummy every Thursday night. It's, they're in hell with me forever. Right, right. Of course. I should have thought of that. So all in all, with all the abortion and mutilation, mutilating children and vulgar women running around, things are going pretty well for you right now. Well, it's my planet, old chap. You're just living in it. Is there anything happening on Earth you don't like? Well, the government seems to be getting a bit smaller. I suppose that worries me some, but Trump can't live forever. Like the old adage says, a man can't live on fried chicken alone. <laughs> so I, I just have one more one more question. Why hmm. is it you have such a an erudite kind of upper-class accent? Ah, simple, my boy. It takes a tremendous amount of intelligence and sophistication to convince oneself and others that evil is good and good is evil. And that's pretty much been my business since day one, I... or day eight, depending <laughs> on how you read the text. <laughs> All right, well, I got it. Thanks. Thanks very much for coming, coming on. You know, actually, I asked our producer, Rob, to get Santa to come back, but he's dyslexic. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky dunky Ship shaped, ipsy topsy, world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray! Oh, hooray, hurrah! All right, speaking of Satan, we've got Michael Knowles coming on to cover the Olympics. He's going to be with us in just a moment to talk about the media's absolute delight and love over North Korea. Just unbelievable stuff. And I'll tell you in a moment why I made him do it, uh, why I made him watch the Olympics instead of me. But first, you know, 
a couple of weeks ago, we got a new sponsor, uh, Peloton. And I always like to try things out before I recommend them. Obviously, I don't want to sell you something that's no good. So I actually drove down to um, Century City, which is about, I don't know, half an hour away from my house. And I drove down there and went and visited the Peloton shop. And I took a look at the bike they have. And what, they, what Peloton is, is it's a, an exercise bike that you have in your home, but it comes with a screen. And when you buy the bike, you also buy a subscription. So you're getting classes in your home. You don't have to drive to the gym, but it's a you know an exercise bike, but it has belts instead of uh, chains and things. So it makes no sound. It is virtually silent. So you can, you know, if your spouse is asleep, you could do it actually in the bedroom. And then you get these classes and there's, you don't have to worry about fitting classes into your schedule. You just do it yourself. And you, it's up to 14 new classes every day with over 8,000 on demand. It's a variety of workouts to choose from, 45-minute classes, 20-minute burns. You got music and rock and roll and you can put on, uh, they showed me that you can, you can put on sites and sit that you can just bike through. The features, they've got a 22-inch HD touchscreen. It's it's near silent, like I said. It really is It really is impressive. I, I've never seen anything quite, quite like it. I've never seen a machine move like that and not make any noise. And it's a, got a very compact footprint, so you can put it anywhere, you know, fit in your living room and in your office, uh, you know, whatever you want, wherever you want to put it that works for you. And you can discover this cutting-edge indoor cycling bike that brings the studio experience to your home with a special deal from me, right? Peloton is offering listeners a limited time offer. You go to onepeloton.com. Now that's spelled O-N-E-Peloton-.com. This is always one, O-N-E, Peloton, P-E-L-O-T-O-N.com. And then you enter the code Claven at checkout. And you think like, I'm so out of breath, I can't remember how to spell Claven, but it's K-L-A-V-A-N. And you get $100 off accessories with your Peloton bike purchase. Get a great workout at home anytime you want. Go to onepeloton.com and use the code Claven, and you can get started. It's, it is a remarkable machine, and the classes are cool, and they just come right into your home. Anyway, um, the reason I made Knowles cover the Olympics, I don't watch the Olympics. I, I, I cannot stand them. I find them excruciating. And one of the reasons, there are many reasons, but one of the reasons is that so many of the events are not sports. Uh, to me, a sport is an objective event. It is. It has points somehow. You somehow score points or runs or whatever they call them, and whoever has more of those at the end wins. So you know, right? You hit the ball out of the park, you get a home run. That is a point. It's a run. If you score, run across the goal into the, you know, run across the line into the uh, goal across the goal line, you get six points. That's a touchdown. There are points. Whoever gets the most points win, or if it's golf, whoever gets the less points, whatever it is. There's not some guy just telling you what it is. Obviously, there are referees. Referees make mistakes, and they're human, and that's part of the game. You have a conversation. But in so many of these things, like uh, figure skating and the ski jumps and you know freestyle ski jumping, it's just the judges giving points. And for me, the difference between sport and that is the exact same difference between capitalism and socialism. In capitalism, you compete. You compete directly. You try to make something better. You're, and freedom in general. You have to have better ideas. Here's my idea. People should be free. Women should have equal rights. Here's your idea. Women should wear burqas and not get to drive. You know. Let's see which one of those ideas in the in the in the field of competition. Let's see which idea wins. I invent a phone that looks like this and has this. You invent one that has this and has this. Which phone is better? It's all you know competition. But what 
socialism is and what the global elites want is they want a world in which they sit and you, you have an idea and they just hold up a sign. Yes, we'll give that idea 9.9. .9. No, no, that idea takes my power and money away. That's just a 5.6. And of course, once you have that system, once it's all based on the judges, once winning and losing is all based on the judges, the judges will become corrupt. They may not become corrupt in the first generation, but they will definitely become corrupt in the second generation. So every time I watch this, the, the Olympics, I just think like, it, that's not sports, you know, some guy holding up a sign. And it's not like, it's not like I, I can't watch, you know, fun skiing and stuff like that, but it's not, it's not a competition. Just show me and I'll just say that was, that was amazing. So a lot of the news, as far as I'm concerned, has been about the way that the media, you know, Kim Jong-un's sister was there and it, it, was it was embarrassing, and Knowles will talk about this, but it, they just praised Kim Jong-un's sister and the Korean, uh, this dance, this synchronized dance team they had. I just, you know, ob so they're sitting there. This is one of the most corrupt, murderous, oppressive regimes. I mean, these are the guys, they murdered, the, you know, Kim Jong-un had his brother-in-law, I think it was, murdered, half-brother, murdered in an airport. They put that cloth over his mouth and they get, you know, it was just like hideous stuff. But people are being sent uh, overseas as slave labor. North Koreans are being sent overseas as slave labor. They're being thrown in prison. They're disappearing. You know, do we have that picture of, uh, of North Korea and South Korea from the sky? Uh, there it is. You can just see South Korea with freedom. It's all lit up. You can see it. North Korea, you see a little dot. That's the capital. Otherwise, it's black, and they're starving. People are starving. They're crawling out of there any way they can, and they're, and so the press is praising them. And so you could just say, well, it's Trump derangement syndrome. You know, Trump says black, they say white. He says up, they say down. He says freedom, they say North Korea, hooray! You know, <laughs> that's how nuts they are. But the fact is, the fact is, the press has been using the Olympics to praise tyranny for a long, long time. Our friends at one of my favorite websites, MRC's Newsbusters, put together uh, a series of coverage from the Olympics, uh, you know, since going back to the 90s. And I had the guys here splice it into a montage. This is the kind of coverage you've been getting from the Olympics and why it's so hard for me to stomach it. Try not to laugh when someone says these are the world's greatest athletes. Despite a paucity of blacks that makes the Winter Games look like a GOP convention. The revolution that birthed one of modern history's pivotal experiments. In Korea, Cuba, Vietnam, and space, the U.S. spared little to defeat communism. At times, it seemed like a national obsession. Stalin promised the metro would be a palace for the people. And so it is. Open architecture, mosaics, even chandeliers. From designer clothes to new cars, China is getting rich. Democracies once bragged that theirs was the only way to economic success. China is doing it the communist way. It's fascinating, though, to see uh, how, how generous the maternity benefits are in this country. And that men can sort of switch roles with their wives and get that 42 weeks paid leave. Yeah, Paula, you and I have been talking about we want to send our kids, we want to want to move here and put our kids in school here. The kids are, are treated so well. I think we have a lot to learn from these folks. I think you're right. Uh, we want to express our nationalism as a part of the world's community, and I expect to see that. But we have to also be careful and draw a line not to let our patriotism get in the way of, of the games in general. Obviously, the opening ceremony, the, the games themselves, will be very patriotic in yeah. feel. And yet, sometimes the international community can interpret that as arrogant nationalism. Obviously, you've got to balance right. those two things. 
So we don't want too much patriotism from the Americans, but we're going to celebrate Stalin's subway. That's Stalin. He makes a great, you know, yeah, yeah, he's killed my wife and children, but, but he makes a great subway, you know, in China, they're getting rich the communist way. I mean, this is, this is something they've been doing for a long time. Back in 1936, Kim Jong-un's philosophical predecessor, a guy named Adolf Hitler, who you may have heard of, he had the Olympics uh, in Germany. Here is the New York Herald Tribune covering that. Uh, this is their international edition. In a riot of color and music and ceremonial splendor that could not be dimmed by leaden skies and occasional showers, the 16-day period of the Berlin Olympic Games celebrating the 11th Olympiad of modern times was inaugurated today under the patronage of Chancellor Adolf Hitler, leader of the German people, with royalty and nobility and diplomats and commoners and athletes of 50 nations participating in a Germanized festival that overshadowed the sports pageant itself. Homage to Hitler all through the ceremony stood out boldly against the setting of the Olympic opening ritual. Hitler's arrival, signaled by a trumpet solo from the huge towers that formed the marathon gateway to the stadium, was taken up by a hundred-piece symphony orchestra, while uh, which burst into Deutschland über alles as the entire crowd, crowd sang the refrains. It was mild applause when the American team appeared through the marathon gate, but nothing to compare with the ovations to Bulgaria, France, and later Austria. As the Americans were marching past Hitler, the German array appeared on their heels, and the Americans were promptly and completely ignored. Now, I'm not saying that they were supporting Hitler there. I'm just saying that this is like, you know, an emptiness of thought, that, that it does promote the idea that if we're unpopular, we're wrong. It's entirely possible that we can get the fewest cheers and still be in the right. And speaking of the man who gets the fewest Cheers. Michael Knowles is with us. He, I forced him to, to watch the, the Olympics uh, because I, I just can't bear them. I mean, how, how, were, how were they in general? Well, I'd like to first thank you for introducing me as the man who got the fewest cheers instead of Satan, as I expected to be introduced, or some lower just, order you spare, demon. you spare a strange resemblance. I don't know, what yeah. it, I don't know why you remind me of Satan. But. It was really awful. Thank you again for this, this rivaled uh, Southside with you and Barry. It rivaled both of them. It was, I almost wanted to watch them, though, because of the media coverage. Yeah. When we sat down, uh, sweet little Elisa, you know, my fiance, yeah. said, uh, Mac, can we not watch any Olympics this year? I said, I'd love to do that, but Drew's going to make me do it. And uh, so now CNN, she hates me, right? That's right. Yeah. The, the CNN headline, quote, Kim Jong-un's sister is stealing the show at the Winter Olympics. And it, this is just the first paragraph. Yeah. If diplomatic dance were an event at the Winter Olympics, Kim Jong-un's younger sister would be favored to win gold. Holy With smokes. a smile, a handshake, and a warm message in South Korea's presidential guest book. By the way, there was no warm message, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Kim Yo-jong has struck a chord with the public just one day into the PyeongChang Games. Now, uh, this has been rightly pilloried. Obviously, it should be pilloried. Uh, Max Rosenthal of the Washington Post which, uh, where, where democracy dies in darkness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he tweeted out all of these stories about how her visit played in South Korea, or about how her visit played in South Korea among South Koreans. The pile-on about these pieces is frankly tedious. Oh, and this, is, this reminds me of, like, uh, all of Walter Durante's stories were about how Stalin played to an idiot New York Times reporter. Yeah. And, you know, the moral idiocy <laughs> is, is a little tedious, too. Th there's this... This, oh, come on, get off it. Stop being so American about all of this. And, and you know, I always am 
listening for when news people tell me, A, that the American people feel this, when they start to use phrases like some people are saying, yeah. and I thought like, like your boss, you mean? Yeah, that's or, right. Or they'll say, you know, they'll speak in the passive voice, questions are being raised. And you think like, <laughs> by you, basically. Critics say. <laughs> yeah, critic, 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 by the way, my name is Critic. My, <laughs> my nickname is Critic. <laughs> they, all, they also were attacking, I mean, Mike Pence and the Kim Jong-un's sister were sitting together, basically, watching some of this? They were sitting together, and Mike Pence didn't acknowledge her because she's a murderous <laughs> dictatress. Oh, you, you picky, picky. I know. Picky, I'm, yeah. so, I'm so uh, ethnocentric, American-centric <laughs> or something. Here are some, because you're right, this is the big uh, difference in coverage between our milquetoast vice president and this right. murderous monster. <laughs> yeah. uh, in North Korea, the annual GDP is $1,800 per capita. That ranks 197th in the world, and those are just the official statistics. Yeah. 125,000 North Koreans are held in concentration camps and tortured. 12 million people in North Korea are starving. They live in extreme poverty where they can't get enough food to survive. The average life expectancy has fallen five years since just the 80s, now down to 69, according to the official statistics. That This is likely a decade higher than the reality of it. That's but even the Korean government can't pretend that these people live any longer than 69 years. <laughs> Workers earn 2 to $3 per month. Even figuring in some black market things, it, it basically cannot rise to more than $10 Two to $3 per month. a month? Yeah. That's, but, that, but that will buy you a pomegranate, I guess. That's right. It'll <laughs> buy you one of the little seeds of the pomegranate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, uh, that, that number, by the way, even including black market, is a third of the government salary in Cuba. That's a, that, oh, for comparison. Yeah. Uh, homes receive a few hours electri of electricity a day if they have electricity. Most do not. Most do not have plumbing. Uh, parents who send their kids to school need to provide desks, chairs, building materials, and cash to pay for fuel. The trouble is, school isn't school. It's a labor camp. So most parents actually save all that money and bribe the teacher not to make their children go to school so they don't have to be enslaved by the government. North Korea has free universal health care, except patients must pay for their own drugs, the cost of heat, and prepare all of their meals at home. Kim Jong-un, meanwhile, is worth $5 billion, an estimated $5 billion. So that guy... How nice. Isn't this so nice? Uh, the mainstream media were calling Kim Yo-jong uh, the, the Korean Ivanka Trump. They're comparing <laughs> to Ivanka. You know, she's yeah, so glamorous, yeah. isn't she? Very, she, very similar. You know, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you to do a commercial so that you don't just vanish into thin air. Yeah. But, but I will be right back. I want to continue this conversation uh, talking about the DollarShaveClub.com, which I have been a member of since way before they were, uh, they were sponsors. And as you can see, some of us have to do a little more shaving than others. And I really think a lot about my razors. And uh, in fact, in fact, this week when I was traveling, I was like, which of my, should, my razors should I take? You know, I'm like, I really have gotten into like a complete obsessive idea about this and Dollar uh, Shave Club just genuinely helps. Basically, you subscribe. They send you the razors every month. They send you new blades every month, so you're not constantly using those uh, blades that you get from disposable razors, and you don't know when to throw them away. You don't have to go to the store and open up and set off the alarm and then get carried off and arrested, put in prison for years until you kindly come back with a big beard, and then you don't even know how to shave anymore. Instead, they just send them directly to you, and you can put in your box, you know, your cyber box. You can put in shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, all the other things that they have. And they have this kind of shave butter, which I like because you can see through it. It's clear. And, uh, and, and you can choose which kind of razors you want. I use both the executive and the basic two-blade one because sometimes I don't have to shave as much as other times. Uh, but when I use that executive thing, I get an incredible shave. All of the blades give you good shaves. You can join Dollar Shave Club today for just 
$5 with free shipping, and they'll send you their starter set. It has the six-blade executive razor, so it's only six, I keep saying it's 152 blades, but it's, it's six blades, executive razor plus trial sizes of shave butter, body cleanser, and one wipe Charlie's. Then keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash Clavin. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Clavin. And you want you probably want me to turn around because so, I've got the word Clavin carved into the back of my head, but I'll just spell it for you. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Go to dollarshaveclub.com slash Clavin and start uh, get started with these five dollars. I love these blades, so they're really good. Let, let's go back to this for a minute, uh, Knowles. You're talking about you're talking about the incredibly crummy economy they have, but but there's also you know, just not to not to not to uh, kick a dead horse, beat a dead horse. But there's also the oppression. You know, they have. I, I was reading uh, who is Amnesty International, which is not exactly you know a right wing uh, you know site. They said that the citizens of the Democratic People's Republic of North Korea continue to suffer violations of most aspects of their human rights. North Koreans and foreign nationals are arbitrarily detained and sentenced after unfair trials for criminal offenses that were not internationally recognized. Severe restrictions on the right to freedom of expression continued. Thousands of North Koreans were sent by the authorities to work abroad basically as slaves. The government continued to dispatch uh, through state-owned enterprise, at least 50,000 people, at least up to 120,000 people remained in detention centers, which you know, as we know from uh, our own guy, Warm Beer, are basically killing fields. I mean, this is the guy they're praising. And then they're, 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 uh, their people come on and dance, and they said how great it was. Hundreds of thousands of North Koreans are tortured daily in concentration camps, to say nothing of the millions and millions who are enslaved. The entire country is enslaved. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and this guy, this regime... Um, tortured to death an American college student. Now, I want to show you two clips. Okay. This is how CNN treated Kim Jong-un's sister. Meantime, with the world watching the Olympics, she will put a young, telegenic face on the regime. This is a calculated move from Kim Jong-un, experts say, to answer Ivanka Trump's presence at the closing ceremonies. Kim Yo-jong is the perfect counterpart to this. And it also is a signal that North Korea is not um, you know, this crazy, weird, um, former Cold War state, but that it, too, has young women that are capable and are the future leadership. Y young woman. Young woman. There's one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the rest are slaves. So it's kind of just like Trump's America, right? It's just like, like yeah. yeah. So that's how CNN treats Kim Jong-un's sister. Unbelievable. How does CNN treat our milquetoast Vice President Mike Pence? Now let's talk about why. Uh, Rapon doesn't want to meet with the vice president. He's openly gay. He's an advocate as well. He referenced uh, the gay conversion. That goes back to about 2000 uh, when uh, the vice president was a congressman and he was supporting funding for services for people who want to change their sexual behavior or orientation. What else could that mean but gay conversion therapy? Chris, that's something, and words are important. I know you feel this way. I, I of course, do as well, that it certainly sounds like gay conversion therapy, but I asked the press secretary if she could give me the answer of what that was, and that was back on January 17th mm -hmm. in our back and forth. 
It goes on for about 10 more minutes. <laughs> it just keeps going, obviously. Unbelievable. It's like, and you know, as we all know, in Indiana, you know, gays have to run in, live in the woods because of that. This was a major pillar of Mike Pence's 2000 congressional campaign is electrodes for gays. <laughs> to, he was running, he want, you know, he wanted to increase the uh, net disposable income of Hoosiers. He wanted to uh, reform regulations and he wanted to electrocute all the gays. We, actually, we remember they that. They actually do sell this line. I mean, they we have to tell people that you're joking yes. because the press actually does sell this line. Well, what's the truth? What did the, he actually do? Yeah, this is totally made up. So on <laughs> one of Mike Pence's congressional campaign websites at some point, uh, they said that he supported a bill to fund treatment for HIV and AIDS. Oh, man, that's uh, oh pretty God. bad, yeah, that I monster. That. And in there, it included a provision that some funds would be directed toward uh, institutions that if, where if people wanted to change their sexual behavior, they could get some therapy to change their sexual behavior. Now, let me tell you something. As a, as a red-blooded American man, there are plenty of aspects of my sexual behavior that probably one should change. Uh, so th but, that's where they get this from. They, so uh, let's, let's, let's say, let's take them at their word, and that means gay conversion therapy or whatever it means, I mean, of, of some sort. So that's one site that that was put up in conjunction with a bill to fight AIDS. This is, is this is classic uh, political hackery, by the way. Yeah. And I, I can tell you yeah. this because I've done it myself on campaigns. <laughs> yeah. What you do is you hire these oppo people to scour your opponent's website and they find any little three words that they can rip out of context and turn into a television ad. And that's what happened here. So they found one line from one provision from a paragraph about supporting a bill to fund AIDS uh, medicine and AIDS yeah. research. And they pulled that out and that was supposed to be the big scare quote. And I, look, I don't mind that they did that. That's what politics is. But for journalists to pretend that this is reality. This is a big problem. Of, yeah. but, but of course, that isn't the case. It's one line. You could do it with any candidate over any bill. The, the trouble with uh, voting, you know, the trouble with being a congressman is you have to vote for bills and every bill has some line in it that can be taken out of context. Right, so right. you always have a terrible record. And they, they could do this with anybody. They, they're doing it with Mike Pence. And what it really shows shows is that the, the mainstream media are not journalists because political activists would use that line. Journalists would not. It's a, it's a, it is a huge problem. Did you happen to see, by the way, the Korean dance team or something like this? That the, the uh, I only watched the gymnastics, but I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, yes, the, I did see the Korean dance team. They, they tweeted out, uh, New York Times tweeted this, all of the mainstream media uh, these like little catchy phrases about how amazing it was, how look at this. But uh, what, what it really brought back to me was a memory of uh, the death of Kim Jong Il. Did you you know if, if people weren't ecstatic enough or excited enough, they'd be thrown in the gulag or they'd be killed. <laughs> do you know Do you know that in 2006, 21 members of a North Korean cheering squad that had traveled to South Korea for an international athletic event, they came back and started talking about what they had seen in South Korea, so they sent them to prison. <laughs> I mean, you know, so you can bet you can bet that dance team was working really hard to get it right. You know? that is, well, that is you saw you know when Kim Jong Il died that you saw people were sobbing so much. And we, this is what we saw on camera. And I thought, yeah. you know, if that camera were on me in North Korea, I'd be, I'd be doing the best performance yeah. of my life. I'd be, yeah. tears yeah. would be coming out of everywhere. So, so you're going to talk about this more in your show, right? I'm going to talk about a different take on this okay. because it seems we've just said that the, these journalists are not journalists, they're political activists. Yep. What, what I want to talk about is the moment that the MSM began to hate the USA. That's this was idea. not always the case. There was a time in this country where the mainstream media did not always try to subvert 
their own country, especially on foreign affairs. And uh, we're going to explain why that changed. Spoiler alert, it's Walter Cronkite. <laughs> That's the way it is. <laughs> That's the way it is. Thanks a lot, Noel. It's a really good report. I'm glad you had to watch it, not me. <laughs> That's sad for me. <laughs> you know, you know why the you, you may ask yourself why the left loves these regimes, these communist regimes that slaughter millions. You know, I mean, Stalin killed tens of millions of his own, murdered tens of millions of his own people, and they're sitting there talking about his beautiful subway system. You know, it's like, yes, and it's made with the bones of murder. You know, what are they talking about? The, the reason is, is that if you do not trust the people and you think that you are so much smarter than the people, then ultimately you've got to start saying to yourself, hey, we've got to stop the people from doing what they do. You know, what do the people do? Some, some people have prejudices. Some people have ideas that you don't like. Some people are not so nice. So you don't want to trust them. You want to tell them what to do. And it works great. It's always going to work great as long as, as long as you erase the people who get in your way. I mean, everything works fine as long as you erase the people. But they just kind of forget about that. And they want to sit... The, the left wants to sit in the stands like the Olympic judges and tell us how good our ideas are, how good our products are, which thing materials we can use, which things we can say, how we should build our buildings, all this stuff. And it's no wonder they hate Donald Trump because he keeps tearing apart the methods and systems by which they do that. All right, we got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. You can continue to listen on YouTube or come over to thedailywire.com and listen to the rest of the show. But but if you want to watch the whole show on thedailywire.com, you got to subscribe. Lousy, ten, look, open your wallet. A lousy 10 bucks a month. And for a hun lousy 100 bucks a month, you can subscribe for the year. You know what else you can do if you subscribe? You can be in the conversation. I almost forgot to mention that Michael Knowles is going to be on the Valentine's Day conversation. Some of us call it the Ash Wednesday conversation. Is it, how, how come he's doing it on Wednesday? Oh, because he's traveling on Tuesday. Usually it's on Tuesday. This time it's Wednesday, February 14th. It's 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. The conversation will stream live on the Daily Wire Facebook page and the Daily Wire YouTube channel and will be free for everyone to watch, but only subscribers get to ask the questions. Now, I don't know if Knowles is going to be wearing pants. I know in his ad for this, he wasn't wearing pants. And I'm still, there's still like little scratches and sparks on my eyes from where I watched that video. But to ask questions as a subscriber, like why aren't you wearing pants, log in to our website, dailywire.com, and you can watch the live stream and head over to the conversation page. And after that, you can just start typing into the Daily Wire chat box if you're a subscriber, and Knowles will answer all live questions as they come in for an entire hour. Once again, you got to subscribe to get your questions answered by the sad and dateless Michael Knowles on Valentine's Day with a little dash of X's on it. There'll be a little cross on his forehead from the ashes. It just, it's going to be pitiful, and you don't want to miss it. It's Wednesday, February 14th at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Come on over and join the conversation. All right, we got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. You know, the thing that Knowles was talking about is really important about how much the press has ceased to be pro-American and has ceased to be, and, and instead is pro-elite, pro-socialist, uh, pro-global, you know, all the things that really, and, and by the way, as I keep saying, we already live in a global world. That's not the question. The question is whether there are going to be countries in the global world that, are, that can compete and that have different ideas and different ways of living. Because if you take those away, 
Who protects you from King George Soros or Emperor George Soros or whoever it is? Who protects you if you don't have a country with certain laws that protect you? You know, you can't count. If those laws disappear from George Soros's empire, then who will protect the Americans and keep the Americans in, in uh, free? You know, I mean, if you've got at the top, you've got a bunch of tyrants like at the UN saying, you know what we need? We need some blasphemy laws. Who stops that if there are no countries where you say, yeah, well, in our country, we don't have blasphemy laws. You can say anything you want. And, and I'm always, but I'm always struck by the fact that the press changes everything. So for instance, for instance, you know, you remember this Republican memo that basically, basically proved, we basically now know that the FBI misused some Democrat Hillary Clinton opposition research called the Steele dossier to get a, a warrant to spy on an American that was probably used, this part we don't know yet, but that warrant was probably used to spy on the Donald Trump campaign. So we had the corrupt Obama administration using the instruments of power to spy on the opposition party, which is complete third world tin pot dictator crap, okay? That is like the bad stuff we're always trying. And if the Republican had done it, if George W. Bush had done it, if Trump did it, the press would be going insane. So the Republicans put out a memo about this while well, the Democrats and the press, but I repeat myself, did everything they could to suppress it. So the Democrats put out their counter memo, which according to the Wall Street Journal doesn't really say much except that we feel we can trust Christopher Steele, that his oppo research was actually good. That's what they're, but they say that anyway. And Trump on Friday said, we're not releasing it because it's filled with information that the FBI and the Justice Department don't want us to release. So go ahead and redact it and then we'll release it. And so the Democrats used this. They obviously did it on purpose, but they used it as a way of saying, oh, well, you'll put out the Republican memo, but you won't put out the Democrat memo. Here is Adam uh, Joe McCarthy Schiff uh, talking about the hypocrisy. It's cut number six. The hypocrisy of this just kind of reaches out and grabs you by the throat. Uh, here, the Republicans write a memo which the FBI quite accurately describes as misleading and omitting material facts. The Department of Justice says it would be extraordinarily reckless uh, to release this. Uh, and what does the president do? He says, I'm going to release it. Before I even read it, 100% I'm going to release it. This is a president who puts his own personal interest above the national security interests of the country. Uh, now, they claimed when they released the Republican memo that this was in the interest of full transparency, and all the White House people were saying full transparency. Well, apparently full transparency only goes so far. So the thing about this is, is the Republicans are saying, and I'm sure this is true, the Republicans are saying that the Democrats purposely put in stuff that couldn't be released so that Trump would have to send it to be redacted, and then they could say, what hypocrisy, just like Schiff was saying. They could say, oh my gosh, they released one memo, but not this memo, blah, 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 blah. That is a good, clean, dirty trick. That is a good, clean, political, dirty trick. I heard that and I thought, hey, pretty smart, you know, pretty smart. If the press were honest and the press were fair and they said, oh, you know, Democrats pulled off a good, clean, dirty trick, I would be fine with it. But the press simply echo everything this weasel is saying, you know, and I think that that suddenly turns this good, clean, dirty trick into a real dirty trick because there's no one to expose it except for us. You know, there's no one to say, hey, you know, OK, fair enough. It's politics. It ain't beanball. You know, you, you go out and you pull a dirty trick. But there's no one to say it because the press covers it up and it changes everything. The same thing is true with this Rob Porter scandal. You know, I wrote a, a piece about this and I said some of this on the air last week, too, about how the Rob Porter scandal 
is a scandal. This is the guy who was, it's alleged by two of his ex-wives that he beat them. And the White House said, John Kelly said, and this guy was a minor, he was a staff secretary. And, and John Kelly said, you know, we support him, we like him, we know him, he, he didn't do this, he says it's not true. And then there came out a picture of one of his ex-wives with a black eye, and they basically said, uh, you're out, they threw him out. So that's a scan that is a real scandal. People were leaving comments on my essay saying, no, that's not a scandal, that's his personal life. <laughs> when you beat your wife, that's an act of villainy, right? That's a criminal act of villainy. It's like, you know, it's like saying, oh, well, yeah, but he robs banks off, you know, uh, off duty. He He's a serial killer off duty. You can't really fire him for that. No, no. When a guy, when you're working with a guy and he turns out to be a villain, you throw him out. So that was the right thing to do. It is true. It is true that life is very complex and a guy who beats his wife can come into work and be a completely plausible good guy. You know, he can come in and say, oh, you know, you would say, I can't believe it. You know, and he would come to you and say, I didn't do it. There's, this My ex-wives are angry at me and all this. And you would believe him. You know, life is very complicated. People are very multifaceted. But once you have a re once I feel like it, it, it's not like a trial. You, you don't have to have a it doesn't have to be beyond a reasonable doubt. But once you begin to think, eh, you know, this guy was beating his wife. He's out of there. He's gone. It's scandal. It's a scandal. It's a it's a two on the scandal meter. And this scandal about the Obama administration spying on the Republicans through the instruments of power, that is a huge scandal. So I would have nothing wrong with them reporting on the scandal, but they just, it's just the way they do it. They keep trying to basically suggest, first of all, they won't stop covering it. George Stephanopoulos on his Sunday program covered this for something like 35 minutes, this minor, minor thing. And of course, the purpose of this is to connect Donald Trump and to make sure that women stay upset about Donald Trump, because there's stuff about Donald Trump that upsets women. He's kind of macho. He's obviously played around. Maybe he was even, uh, you know, uh, harassing women. Who knows what he was doing? But something about him really gets, you know, goes up women's spine. Sometimes that stuff he said on the Hollywood Access tape, all of that stuff. And they just want to make sure that women continue to be upset so they don't notice that their lives are actually improving. You know, the economy is improving. There are plenty of powerful women in the administration. More women are going back into the workplace. More women are in the workplace. Things are going well for women in this country under Donald Trump, but they don't like him. And the then that's all the Democrats have, and they want to sell you that. Here is Matthew Dowd on this George Stephanopoulos Rob Porter marathon, you know, talking about why Rob Porter is somehow somehow condemns Donald Trump. This is not a staff problem. This is not a management problem. That's like saying Pablo Escobar has a staff problem because drug smugglers and drug dealers work for him. Donald Trump could not pass a FBI background check or get a security clearance if he worked as staff at the White House. Based on all his actions, based on 12 credible women that have accused him of sexual harassment, based upon a, his first wife, who in her first divorce proceedings said she was raped by him, then recanted it, based upon a guy that defrauded thousands of people in a university situation, this is a guy, as President of the United States, who allows, who enables this. So why wouldn't the general counsel, why wouldn't the chief of staff basically say, it doesn't matter, we have this guy as president? So this is what they're this is what they're after. They're after John Kelly. John Kelly has come and he's cleaned up the White House. The thing that may you know a lot of as you've noticed and as we've talked about a lot of the things that the left tries to do to Donald Trump end up blowing up in their own face. And one of the reasons this may blow up on their own face is that one of the women, the ex-wives, says she told the FBI about the abuse that she was suffering. 
while they were doing interviews about it to get him clearance, right? Because the FBI comes around. If you get an appointment in the White House, the FBI does an investigation into you to make sure that they can uh, they can clear you for security. And this is one of the things that you can't get cleared on. So my question is, is did the FBI tell John Kelly? And if not, why not? And secondly, who leaked this to the press? I think it was the Daily Mail that first ran with this. Who leaked it? If the FBI leaked it, then it really does seem to me that the FBI is still operating to hide the malfeasance they committed while Donald Trump was running for president. And so this could really become part of the scandal, because just like this whole Russia scandal, is now, it now really seems that the only people who colluded with the Russians are the Democrats, who got all this information from Christopher Steele, who got it from the Russians. The only people who were colluding with the Russians were the Democrats. It, now, it may turn out to be that the FBI is the reason that they didn't know about this. I, I can't say that for sure. But all I do know is it's a scandal. Donald Trump should call John Kelly into his office and say, General, I rebuke thee. Th you know, John Kelly should say, Mr. President, I stand rebuked and everybody should get back to work. And, you know, we can talk about it. But the way it's always the press that turns these things because they're working so hard for one side, the side of the elites, the side of the corporations, the side of the of globalism, the side of the Democrats, because they're working so hard for one side, is they take these stories and they make fools of themselves and they make you feel like, oh, forget it already. Just drop it. And they distort and ruin everything. All right. It is time for our crappy culture. So I know when I think about our crappy culture, I immediately think about Ben Shapiro. No, I'm kidding. It's just that Ben wrote a piece that I just, I thought it was a terrific piece on our site. The headline, if you want to look it up, because it may have fallen off the front page, the headline was, Female Rabbi Publishes the Single Stupidest Piece on Biblical Adam and Eve Ever Written it's not close. And I read that and I thought, oh, Ben, you know, he's always he's always calling people stupid and everything's the stupidest. This. And I, I went on and read this piece, which, first of all, is hilarious. It's really well written. It's Shapiro at his Shapiroist. And it really is. It really is excellent. But I thought, oh, no, wait, Ben was being like his St. Francis like <laughs> he's being too kind to this piece. And, the, and then I went and read the actual piece to make sure he wasn't exaggerating because I couldn't believe anything this stupid had been published. So the rabbi's name is Tamara Colton, obviously a female rabbi and a psychologist in Birmingham, Michigan. And she writes this piece about <clears throat> the Genesis story. And she starts out as a 47-year-old woman rabbi, which is the first thing, by the way. The left is always identifying themselves first, you know. As a black woman, you think, like, that doesn't make you right. You know, even if you're talking about being a black woman, you may be wrong, you know. So it's like, just tell me what you have to say. She says, as a 47-year-old woman rabbi, I've become emboldened by these brave young women of the Me Too movement to speak a truth that I've known in my heart for a long time but have been hesitant to share. The time... <laughs> The time has come for me to step... This is not Ben's imitation. This is the actual piece. The time, it's, the time has come for me to step forward, too. It's time we all acknowledge an overwhelmingly powerful source of shame and silence in the Bible. The story that begins the Bible, the first one that we learn in Sunday school, the founding story of man and woman upheld for thousands of years by Judeo-Christian religion, is actually the story of the first sexual, of assault, a sexual assault of a woman. The woman's name is Eve, and the perpetrator is God. I want you to, <laughs> I want you to think about this, says she. Here is a young, beautiful, intelligent, naked woman living in a state of grace. She's hungry, so she does the most natural thing in the world, and she eats a piece of fruit. 
For following her instincts, trusting herself, and nourishing her body, she's punished. Her punishment, she will never again feel safe in her nakedness. She will never again love her body. She will never again know her body as a place of sacred sovereignty. This thing goes on and on. And it is, I, I mean, I, I'm sure I don't have to tell you that in the Bible, both Adam and Eve are forbidden the, the fruit of one tree in a lush vibrant bar garden filled with fruit, right? She could have got their one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they are forbidden, and she eats it, and that's why they are punished. And he eats it too. He, she gives it to him, and he eats it too, and that's why they're... But this is sexual assault. It's all about God. And, you know, I, the thing, the reason I, I call this out for our crappy culture is this is something that is happening in churches across America. The Episcopal Church, and I am a member of the Episcopal Church, I'm sometimes sorry to say, but the Episcopal Church in the Diocese of Washington, D.C., and I was just in Washington, and every Episcopal Church you go by has some Black Lives Matter thing or some gay rainbow flag or something like this. They, the Episcopal Church in the Diocese of Washington, D.C., passed a resolution last week to stop using masculine pronouns for God in future updates to its Book of Common Prayer. So Jesus called God Father. It's the, he's the Father. There's the Son. But they're not going to use these. Uh, they're not going to use masculine pronouns. My problem with it, it, it's like if you don't want to believe God is male, I mean, I believe that God goes beyond male and female. I mean, you know, it says he created man in his image, male and female, so I believe that God goes. But, but we know that our relationship to him is our relationship to him as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we know from the Bible, from the religion. My, my problem with this is not that people want to believe this. It's that they want to hijack other people's religions to teach it, okay? Now, listen... There are things that I have problems with in my own uh, faith journey with the church. For instance, you've heard me say that I'm very accepting of other people's sexuality. I don't care if people are gay. I've worked with gays my whole life. People I've respected, loved, you know, uh, liked who were my friends and who did tremendously creative work. You know, I I'm uncomfortable with churches that come down really hard on homosexuality as a sin. But I've never said, you know, I, I don't know whether it's a sin because I don't do it. You know, I just don't do it. But I certainly know that there are all kinds of sins like gluttony, you know, like drinking, like lust and greed, things that I, sins that I participate in. And I don't see why, if even if being gay is a sin, I don't see why the gay guy next to me should be thrown out or condemned, but not the fat guy on the other side of me or, or me who has a, a lot of lust in my heart. You know, I don't see why, like, all those sins aren't put together and we're all here together as, as sinful creatures, you know. But, but I would rather go to a church and, and, and by the way, I think that there are arguments you can use with the Gospels to show that homosexuality is, is not necessarily uh, a sin per se. That's a, another issue. But I would rather go to a church that was true to its understanding of the Gospels than a church that said, well, the Gospels say this, the religions say this, but... If your sentence begins with Jesus says, there shouldn't be a but in the next beginning of the next phrase. You have gone astray. The religion is not yours. The religion is the, the people's and it's God's, you know. So, I mean, you can make lots of different arguments. There are lots of, a lot of people object to the way I read the Bible. I get this all the time. You know, we disagree about the way to read the Bible, but at least I'm reading the Bible. At least the words mean to me what they mean. And if I have an argument that seems to contradict what's in the Bible, I have to make that argument from the Bible and from logic and from reason. I don't just get up and declare that I don't like this anymore. And I just think that that is such a poisonous, dishonest thing to do if you don't believe 
believing, you know, if you don't believe, go, let people worship, but don't ruin your temple or your church with, by letting your opinions and your feelings supersede the Gospels. You know, again, again, there are lots of different ways to read the Bible, there really are, that are completely honest and completely in keeping with what's in the books. There are, that's why there are so many different sects and so many ways to disagree by honest Christians, but this is dishonest, and the fact that it's dishonest. It has no bearing uh, in the, in the uh, sacred founding of the religion. If you don't like the religion, just leave. Don't destroy it. All right, what do we got tomorrow? Who's on tomorrow, Rob? Uh, Hannah Sherlock. Oh, Hannah Sherlock for Campus Reform. You know, these guys who go on and they interview uh, people on, on campuses and show how the stuff how crazy the stuff is they are learning and what they believe. Uh, she will be with us. Be there then. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show, and we'll see you tomorrow. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And their animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.